0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I'm sorry to report that our scheduled interview with David K. Johnson, author of Free Lunch, had to be postponed a week owing to the fact that his employer, the New York Times, sent him down to Florida to cover the primary there. And let's face it, in the media world, the New York Times does have a bit more pull than Radio Parallax. Although we're, we're doing what we can about that. But no, we're very, very much looking forward to having Mr. Johnson on next week. Uh, David K. Johnson was, in fact, named Author of the Week by The Week magazine. We're going to talk to him about uh, free lunch Subtitled, How the Wealthiest Americans Enrich Themselves at Government Expense and Stick You with the Bill. Mr. Johnson is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. We look very much forward to bringing him to you next week. And while we're pleased at this point to be, uh, to be broadcast on several venues, we should note that uh, Radio Parallax will be celebrating its sixth year of broadcasting on KDVS in Davis this coming June. We first debuted on a special edition of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. And personally, we just can't say enough good things about the good people at KDVS, two of whom we will speak with later on in this program, including our old pal Dr. Andy. We're very pleased that we can now also be heard up on KZFR and Chico, and we'll be bringing you some of the people from uh, that good station uh, very soon. We think an awful lot of good is being done by the likes of KDVS in Davis, KVMR up in uh, Nevada City, Grass Valley, and KZFR up in Chico, just to name three. Now let us commence the show as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in today's case is January 31st. Actually, let me start by noting that yesterday, January 30th, marked the 60th anniversary of the assassination of Mohandas Gandhi better known by the title that was bestowed upon him, Mahatma Gandhi, meaning great soul. Gandhi was the leader of the Indian independence movement, who unfortunately uh, fell victim on this day 60 years ago of a bullet fired by a terrorist of a right-wing Hindu militia group who objected to his tolerance of Muslims. So outraged was the nation uh, over the act of Natharam Godse that an exception was made in his case for a previous Indian ban on capital punishment. Gandhi's persuasive methods of peaceful civil disobedience influenced leaders of civil rights movements around the world. And he remains a great influence even today. All right, but on this date in history, January 31st in 1906, the coast of Ecuador was shaken by the century's fifth largest earthquake, measuring 8.8 on the Richter scale. We'll have a little bit more to say about South American earthquakes later in the program. On this date in 1913, the British House of Lords rejected a bill tabled by the Liberal government and passed by the House of Commons proposing home rule for Ireland. One peer said that home rule would make the Irish a menace in war and a disturbing influence in peace. The Republic of Ireland uh, nevertheless did soon gain its independence. And unfortunately to its discredit showed its disapproval of Great Britain by remaining neutral in World War II. Which, incidentally, was one of the trivia questions at the Bistro 33 on Monday night this week. And this date was certainly a uh, a red-letter day for weapons of mass destruction, because on January 31st in 1915, on the Russian front, Germany used poison gas for the first time. The director of that effort was none other than Fritz Haber, the man who brought the world nitrogen fertilizer. The story of Fritz Haber is such an amazing one that sometime this year in 2008, we plan to do a segment on him. Haber thought that poison gas was such a terrible weapon that it would bring a quick end to the war. Well, it was, but it didn't. And on January 31st in 1950, U.S. President Harry S. Truman ordered the development of the hydrogen bomb based on nuclear fusion. The father of the hydrogen bomb, of course, was Edward Teller, a man whose obituary we reported on on this program uh, a couple years back. And, you know, uh, Richard Rhodes, the Pulitzer Prize-winning historian, has written two excellent books on uh, nuclear weapons. Actually, now three. He's written about the origins of the atomic bomb, the origins of the hydrogen bomb, and his recent book, Arsenals of Folly, The Making of the Nuclear Arms Race, has gotten uh, excellent reviews everywhere. Mr. Rhodes wrote the introduction for Gwyneth Craven's book, Power to Save the World. We spoke with Ms. Cravens last week, and uh, we're going to see what we can do to bring Richard Rhodes to this program. We think he would be a fabulous guest, so we're going to do what we can. All right, our quote of the day for today's program <laughs> comes from Roberta McCain, the 95-year-old mother of Senator John McCain, now the Republican frontrunner. In what has to be something less than a ringing endorsement, Mama McCain said, holding their nose, they're going to have to take him. And no, we don't know why she said it, but we sure wish we did. And our quip of the day, and this is actually recycled from a few weeks ago, but we now have the exact quote in front of us, came from Joe Biden, who, commenting upon John Edwards' senatorial career, said, John doesn't have a record in the Senate. John's only passed four bills. They're all about post offices. I mean, literally. And I just want to add that, thankfully for the nation, John Edwards has decided to throw in the towel. And, of course, in case you didn't notice, so has Rudy Giuliani. Well, that's some good news, actually. Uh, Unfortunately, the bad news is the next president of the United States is going to be one of the following five. Obama, Clinton, Huckabee, Romney, or McCain. Our quip of the day comes from former California Attorney General Evel Younger, who once said, An incompetent attorney can delay a trial for months or years. A competent attorney can delay one even longer. Our statistic of the day comes from the Gallup Pakistan organization. and It notes that 23% of Pakistanis believe that Pakistani government agencies were directly responsible for the Benazir Bhutto assassination, while another 25% blame government-allied politicians. Thus, half the population of Pakistan believes the government had a hand in the assassination. Only 17% blame Al-Qaeda or the Taliban. The Taliban does seem unlikely in that Benazir Bhutto's government had very friendly relations with the Taliban, which leaves Al-Qaeda, the, the culprit of choice by the current Pakistani government of Pervez Musharraf and our own CIA. Actually, I have a second stat of the day because I simply can't resist this item. The stat would be 614. That's the number of candidates who ran for the National Assembly of Cuba last week in their first election since Fidel Castro appointed Brother Raul acting president. Now, it's interesting that 614 candidates ran, 614 candidates were elected because the assembly has 614 seats. With the communists being Cuba's only party, its candidates always run unopposed. Of course, analysts still did find some signs of change in the election, noting that uh, two-thirds of the candidates were running for the first time and the majority were younger than 50. And, uh, you know, if you've noticed the fact that, you know, everywhere else in the world except America, polling data seems to reveal how elections are going to go. All we're hearing about this election season is how, boy, the pollsters are sure wrong. Boy, they're, they're always wrong. And perhaps that struck you as rather unlikely. It certainly strikes us that way. And by the way, on next week's program, we expect to be joined by William Poundstone, who's got a new book out titled Gaming the Vote, Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It. And no, this does not have to do with uh, vote counting machinery and things like that, but rather the mathematical certainty that uh, no voting system can be completely fair. Mr. Poundstone and others have determined what is the best method of voting, and I think you're going to find that to be a rather uh, surprising method, one that you no doubt have already utilized just not for elected officials. Anyway, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week this week for artistic Turkmen, after the former Soviet Republic of Turkmenistan ended its seven-year ban on opera, ballet, and circuses, which its previous ruler, the late Saparmurat Niyazov, called alien to Turkmen culture. The new ruler, Kurbangali Berdyamukhamidov, said in a national address, Today is a new period in starting our country, which we have called an era of great renaissance. And while I personally am glad that the people of Turkmenistan can enjoy uh, uh, new types of entertainment, uh, I'm not 100% sure that a ban on opera, ballet, and circuses really should be rescinded. But that, I hasten to add, is my personal opinion. Which, of course, like all the opinions heard on this program, do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, or its sponsors. But damn, you ever try and sit through an opera? Now, I admit, that is better than nails on a blackboard, but the question is, how much better? All right, it was uh, conversely a bad week for climate change a couple weeks back when the Iditarod sled dog race in Alaska had to be moved 30 miles north from Wasilla, Alaska to Willow, Alaska because Wasilla now has too much concrete and not enough snow, said race officials. And finally, it was an ugly week uh, last week for U.S. Gourmets, after the Scottish government said it would implore the United States to lift its ban on haggis, the Scottish national dish. The Scots say that haggis, which consists of chopped up pieces of heart, liver, and lungs, wrapped inside a sheep's stomach lining, poses no danger of transmitting mad cow disease. It is safe, a Scottish spokeswoman explained, or we wouldn't eat it here. And no, we have no further explanation of why they do eat it there. And we're sorry to note that today, asteroid 2007 WD-5 did not, in fact, strike the surface of Mars. That would have uh, given us a spectacular show and and yielded a bonanza of scientific data, but uh, alas, it was not to be. But uh, speaking of Mars, uh, the Planetary Society website and other locations uh, have shown that the recent photos (laughs) taken by one of the Mars rovers appears to show an image of Bigfoot on Mars. And no, I'm not making this up. (laughs) Actually, the the shadows on a rock, which turns out is only about six inches high near one of the spacecraft, does look remarkably like the Bigfoot uh, that appears on the Roger Patterson movie up in Northern California. And thankfully, unlike the face on Mars, uh, apparently no one, at least so far, is taking this one seriously. Art Bell, are are you listening? don't, don't, Don't try to start something with this, Okay. All right, also from the idiocy file, how about this one? The U.S. FDA announced a couple weeks back that milk and meat from cloned animals was safe to eat, which is curious because cloned products appear to have no market whatsoever anywhere, said Andrew Kimbrell, executive director of the Center for Food Safety in Washington. The FDA's bullheaded action disregards the will of the public and the Senate. FDA's action has placed the interests of a handful of biotech firms above those of the public they are charged with protecting. On the opposite side of this controversy came a rather cryptic comment by John Fisher, described as president of Prairie State Seamen. Said Mr. Fisher, When you buy a box of Cheerios in New York and one in Champaign, Illinois, you know they're going to be the same. By shortening gen- the genetic process using clones, you can do a similar thing. It could improve the quality of meat in the supermarket. Well, we don't know about that, but it would certainly improve the sameness of the meat in the supermarkets of America. I think we need some animal science majors to come sound off on this one. In fact, if, if you have an opinion on that, please send it to info at radioparallax.com. All right, a couple days ago, I picked up a copy of the California Aggie, UC Davis's student-run newspaper, and they had some pretty interesting articles. One, a uh, a reprint of an article by Tim Dunn, which appeared in the Daily Californian of UC Berkeley, which I think I'll quote from. As parents today continue to worry that their children are having sex prematurely, a study finds that dinosaurs may have already been setting a bad example. According to a new study by two campus paleontologists, dinosaurs reached sexual maturity at a young age near the end of an accelerated growth period. This discovery contradicts the conventional dinosaur growth model. Previous models have evidently been based on, uh, on reptiles, and it turns out with study it, that uh, it seems dinosaurs matured much more quickly, more like modern birds and mammals. That, that they discovered that all three dinosaur species studied had a pattern of being sexually mature when they were only half grown. And I can't resist at this juncture inserting that uh, great, great quote by Rodney Dangerfield, who once said, Ooh, these kids are fooling around too young these days. The other day I saw birth control pills shaped like Fred Flintstone. And uh, this item in the Science Scene column by Jennifer Wolfe at The Aggie Caught My Eye It noted that uh, sexual orientation apparently can be spotted at a glance. According to a study conducted at Tufts University in Massachusetts, 100 milliseconds was all it was required for people to be able to accurately judge a person's sexual orientation of the time. Men and women were shown 90 pictures of both heterosexual and homosexual men's faces for varying amounts of time, between 33 milliseconds and 10 seconds. Individuals given less than 10 milliseconds were less accurate, and individuals with intervals longer than 100 milliseconds were not more accurate in their assessment. The results support the hypothesis that people are able to quickly make accurate judgments about others and situations. A previous study conducted in 1994 involved showing two second video clips of professors teaching to participants. Participants were then asked to evaluate the professor's ability to teach. Surprisingly, the feedback given by the participants was very similar to student evaluations after an entire semester. The, uh, the website listed for this study was sciencemag.org. You may want to check it out. All right, and here's a, uh, a somewhat disturbing study. According to the Agency France Press, a Swiss study found that uh, flu viruses can survive on banknotes for up to two weeks, especially if coated with the bodily fluids of the person who pocketed them before you. Researchers at Geneva's University Hospital deposited virus particles on paper banknotes then left them to sit at room temperature. Most viruses survive for only a few hours, but those that had been mixed with human mucus remain viable for two and a half weeks, long enough to pass through many hands. Said the study authors, uh, paper money might be a significant factor in the spread of germs. It should not be overlooked in pandemic planning. We should note that our environmental correspondent, Jennifer Davidson, apparently has already taken this to heart and seems to rely only on debit and credit cards. I guess Jennifer was on to something. Boy, it might be time to put a plug in for waterless hand cleaner. If you don't use it, uh, boy, you might want to consider it. Of course, now the Swiss are going to have to study whether you can use waterless hand cleaner and kill the germs on the banknotes. But, hey, hey, that's a study they should do. And we mentioned uh, a couple weeks back in the program we now have an intern from CSUS. Letty Chavez is going to be handling uh, some of our uh, Mexico and Central American affairs, we hope. uh... Uh, This item really shocked me. I don't know if you saw this. Dateline, Tijuana, Mexico. Hundreds of police officers and soldiers waged a three-hour gun battle against heavily armed men here Thursday, leaving six kidnapping victims and one suspect dead as residents of a normally quiet neighborhood ran for their lives. This apparently is part of a uh, a month-long crackdown on Tijuana's crime cartels. And I've gotten a lot of information of late from people that have been there that the crime levels in northern Baja down there, Ensenada, Rosarito Beach area, etc., are uh, at all time levels. If you're considering a vacation down there, you may want to check as to local conditions because a lot of people are getting robbed brazenly in the light of day, losing their money and sometimes their vehicles. So we're going to hope to get a report from uh, Letty on what's going on down there in, in Mexico. All right, let's let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett, you're listening to Radio Parallax.